And that explains why that table is still sticky to this day. Good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good, good. Have you ever discovered times when life hasn't always turned out like the way you thought it would, right? I remember going to my first day of football practice at seventh grade. I was in uh, Richardson West Junior High in Richardson, Texas. It was an inner city school. And the first day of practice, we had like 80 to 90 guys show up. And the coach announced that there were 60 uniforms. And so the first day of practice was going to be running until 20 people quit. And I knew I couldn't go home and and tell my dad that I quit. So I I survived that. And I was so excited because the next day of practice, we were dividing up into offense and defense. And my illustrious football career lasted one season, right? Because I knew I was going to be the quarterback because, you know... Y'all don't get this. I was going to be the, and so I showed up and I was like, offense or defense? And I said, offense. And the coach went up to me immediately and goes like this, good, line. Hit my head on the head. I was now offensive line. That was the end of my football career right then. I finished the season. I was the entire third string offensive line. True story. Um, Life sometimes doesn't turn out the way you think it should, right? Little things big things, all these things. Sometimes life just doesn't go the way you think it should. So we've been doing a series called Life Hack, uh, an idea of how the Bible really applies to us and really trusting and really believing that what God's way and God's intention is the best way for us to live. So we've talked about how to live through anxiety. We talked about how to live with anger, how to focus on love and how to work on our marriage. We've done all of these things believing that God has a better way for us to go. Now, if you follow Christ and if you continue to do these things, what's going to happen is you're going to become a person who is drawn into living a life the way that God wants you to live. And you're going to live in a way that the world starts to notice. And when the world starts to notice, you're going to be viewed as different or countercultural or against the fold. How do you live in a countercultural world? In a countercultural way. I remember growing up and I remember hearing a pastor say this. I was like seven or eight years old. And I remember him, I think it was a guest pastor actually, who came in and said, I am convinced that I will go to jail for my faith before I die. I remember thinking, that sounds miserable. <laughs> I don't know that I want to do that, right? I don't do it. And here's what I would encourage you and what I want you to see as we start this morning. If you follow God... No matter what the situation or no matter what the circumstance, you will not be miserable. It does not mean it will be easy. But if you follow God, it's not about what could happen to you. It's about trusting in him. Let's explain why that happens and why we do that. We're going to do that by looking at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in Daniel, which is an Old Testament book about halfway through the Bible, the book of Daniel. And we're going to look in chapter 3 as we discussed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And growing up, I remember going into a church setting where they had the, the felt board and they put the little, some of you know this, some of you don't, that these little, back in the, the 80s, early 80s, they had these little felt boards and they put these little sticker things that, that, would, that wouldn't last, and then they'd get to peel them off and move them and tell all the stories. And so now here's Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and here's King and I. I remember this story from that time. So this story has resonated with me my entire life. And this story is, is very pivotal in understanding how we are to live as we begin in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded 
When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And there was people from all over the world he had conquered. And he gathered them together and he'd made a statue 60 feet tall. And when the music played, they were supposed to come down and worship. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace, a blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. little background. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were originally from Judah, which is a, a little section of Israel. They were Jewish people. When they were conquered, they were taken. And when they were taken, they were taken because they were viewed as and esteemed as people that we could use for our benefit. They were considered wise. And in the process, they had found favor with the king. So this would be the equivalent of somebody coming in and taking people out of West Lafayette, right? And taking you to another country where you don't speak English, where they don't speak English and you don't know the language. And they, they come and they, they, they change your whole life, but you find favor. How do I know that? In Daniel chapter 1 verse 5, it says this. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve the king's court. And among them from the descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. He gave them the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Thus concludes my massacring of the Hebrew language right there. Um, When you do this and you understand, here's three people, actually four in this passage, that were taken away. And in the, the foreign land, they were given prominence. They were given the best of the best. And the king had liked them. They, they were in the presence of the king. And all they had to do to have a nice, cushy life was to assimilate into the culture that was given them. Different names, everything. But even when they did that, they still tried to obey their God. And when they did try to obey their God, other people began to notice and became jealous and angry. And we find in Daniel chapter 3 verse 8, it says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. So there were some people who didn't like them. There were some people who were going, I don't like that you're living for this God. I don't like the way you're living. I don't like that you have all these life hacks and and know a better way to live. And you're at peace and I'm not at peace. And I don't like it. So I'm going to attack you. And we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. So these Chaldeans said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, may the king live forever. You as a king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum... And every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. For whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So he asked them once. He had asked them to bow down. And this is historical. You can find that there was this king. There were these people. They lived. They breathed. This is not. It's very historical. You can check that out. Then in the furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? He, he gave them the question again, right? Because why? Because they had found favor. The king liked these guys. He, he wanted to give them every chance. So he says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, kind of has a beat to it, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? So here's the second time he asks them. I, I gave you a chance to assimilate into the culture. I gave you the chance to look just like us. I gave you the chance to breathe and, and do everything that we've asked you to do. I'm going to give you one more chance to do this. But you better be careful because who's going to rescue you? Because my saying goes... And you will be killed. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. For if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Do you notice right there, he doesn't, they don't come out and say maliciously, we don't like you, king. They, he just says, we're not going to. We're not going to do it. So he'd given them the second chance. And notice right there, after the second chance, he doesn't give them a third. In fact, he doesn't even allow and wait for the music to play when his response is, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face turns Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He turned, he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other cloths were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of the blazing fire. What made them do this? I mean, seriously, like, this isn't like, hey, do this or you lose your allowance. Oh, take away my allowance. This is like, you lose your life. If you hear stories all over this planet, there are people who are willing to die for their belief in God. It's been said that there have been more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years than there were before. I, I haven't traced that. I can't prove it. But there are a lot of Christian martyrs in this world. People who are willing to die and say, I will not renounce my faith. And, and here's the question, what makes them to be so sure of the God they serve, to believe so deeply in this relationship with God that they're willing to lose their very life? And here's the question. Are you? Say, so Daniel, you, you, you just said you didn't really think the whole, you know, I'm going to get arrested. And are you saying we're going to, I'm not saying that. I'm just asking, it's a good question to ask. If someone were to help point a gun to your head and say, renounce your faith or get shot, what would you say? Here's the fact. They were willing to be obedient to God, no matter the cost. Obedience is an important part of faith. 
obedience shows that we really believe in because if you obey your God, it shows that you're taking steps in the right direction. And obedience is kind of the, the groundwork for which our faith grows. I remember growing up and I remember having a youth minister and he pulled all the guys aside one day. And I know this is a, 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 a room, so I'm going to try to be careful with this. But he said to the guys, he goes, I know you all are at age when you're probably going to struggle with how you view the, the, the uh, I don't remember the word he used, but the opposite sex, right? And he said, some of you are going to be driven by your impulses and your desires. And here's what I would encourage you. When you have the chance to, to look at a woman, look at her with respect, Period. And we were like, okay, what's the next step? Look at him with respect. That's it. Look at him with respect. And when your eyes start going somewhere they shouldn't, don't. Look at him with respect. And so we were expecting this deep, like, okay, now what is the next step? And he's like, it's really that simple. You look at him with respect. You obey the way they're made in the image of God. And I remember thinking, that doesn't make sense. How does this work? You look at them with respect. No, but what's the deeper level? You look at them with respect. And sometimes we sit there, we miss the obvious. God says, don't murder because, well, you shouldn't murder somebody. It's going to turn out bad for you, right? Don't have an affair on your spouse because, well, it's going to turn out bad for you. Don't lie because it's going to turn out bad for you. And we, we sit there and we go, okay, God's giving us all these commands because he's mean and he wants to tell us to do this. Thing, blah, blah. No, God wants what's best for you. And if we could just take the basic step of obedience to do what he says and, and listen and know what he says, then what you're going to find is it's going to help you in life. But here's something else I want you to realize. Many people in the church think obedience to God is what will lead to peace. Isn't peace what we all want? I want to feel comfortable in the skin I'm in. I want to feel at rest. I want to feel like I have a purpose and a place. I want to feel valued. I want to feel loved. I want to feel cherished. I want to feel secure. I want peace, right? Does that sound good to anybody? And we don't know why we can't find peace because we're trying to be obedient to God. This was me. Any, uh, those of you who are in the room who are rule followers, raise your hand. You know, who are the rule followers, right? Okay, those of you who aren't, I'm not going to have you raise your hand because you wouldn't do it because you don't follow the rules, right? And the rule followers in the room are like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and we, but what can happen very often is we can replace the idea of what obedience is really intended to provide. Because you see, obedience by itself will not lead to peace because obedience, it's a lousy God. Uh, I've heard a lot of sermons and I've been to a lot of churches. And hear me, I think there's a lot of great preachers who are doing the best they can. So I'm not trying to, to cut down other sermons at all uh, or pastors. But I've heard a lot of the thou shalt not sermons. And the thou shalt not sermons are the sermons that don't do this, don't do that, 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 don't do that. Don't do that and you leave feeling going... Oh, I'm a failure. Anybody? And I think there's part of that truth because God asks us not to do it because it's robbing us of our best intention. But I always want to go, there's more to the thou shalt not because there has to be a what can we do? Right? Obedience by itself is a lousy God. And so I want us to see in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, what the Bible says about obedience, because obedience is really obeying the law. And so in this passage, it refers to obedience as the law. 
It says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. So if you're trying to find your peace, if you're trying to find your hope, there's a bug on me. That's so weird. If you're trying to find all of those things, y'all know me. I just have to say what's in my mind. Um, If you're trying to live that way and try to find your hope in a a list of laws and rules and regulations, and if you think that's what faith is, you're going to be miserable. Faith is not a list of rights and wrongs. Now it is clear that no one is justified. That's how we know, because none of us are just. Justified means have living a just life. Can we all admit that we've done something that we shouldn't have? Before God, by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. In other words, we live by the law because of our faith. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. Because as written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we receive the promised spirit through faith. There's a whole lot of churchy phrases in there, so let me unpack that for you. The idea is that if you have to live by the law to earn your right to go into a relationship with God, we all fall short. Why? Because, well, I may have told a lie before, have you? I may have not always treated my spouse right. Have you? So you're like, I'm not married, got me. Well played. <laughs> but we've all done something that we know that makes us feel icky inside because we know that that feeling of, I'm really disappointed that I just did that. And that's called sin. And that sin is the realization that you were made for more. You were made to live in a certain way, the way that God made you, the way that God loves you. And the result is we've been separated from God because of that. And And the curse of having to live a perfect life is that we can't do it. So this says, because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. It means that we deserve death. The hanging on a tree was referring to how Jesus would die on a cross. And and so his criminal death, as he died on the cross, we're entering the Easter season, we're celebrating this. As he were to die on that tree, the reason that he died on that tree was we deserve to die on that tree. Because we didn't live a perfect life. Because... We didn't live the law like we should. We robbed ourselves, but we robbed humanity of what God did for us. But here's the good part. When Jesus died for us, the purpose of that was the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. The, the promise of Abraham was that we would have a covenant relationship with God. In other words, an eternal blessing on us. And it, it related into the Gentiles. And I don't know many of you, but I've taken the ancestry DNA test and I, and I can prove to the fact that I'm not, I'm not Jewish at all. And so most of us in this room are not Jewish by descent, right? Okay, can we, so if you are, I'd love to meet you and just tell me I'm Jewish and I'll go, great. doesn't matter because we don't care where you're from, right? But I would, I would love to meet you. So I, I am not Jewish at all. I don't know where I'm going with this. Just bear with me, okay? I am not Jewish at all. So the Gentile part me is the rest of us. It's all the nations. It's saying God came not just for a people group, but for humanity. All of us. And when he died on the cross, he took the curse of our imperfections upon him so that 
you could receive the promised spirit. And the spirit is the very presence of God living in your life. You see, the purpose of Jesus dying was to have a relationship with us. This is why it's so countercultural. Because who dies for someone else? And so Jesus invites us to live the life that he did. And here's the problem. Some people see obedience as the means to see God. But others, they see the relationship with God as the reason for obedience. And that's a key point. If you see obedience as the means to see God, well, there's some truth to that. But only if the second part comes true, the relationship with God is the reason to obedience. So it works like this. As I obey God, I'm drawn closer to his character, his likeness, his presence. As I obey God, I allow the Holy Spirit to God to thrive and grow up, grow up in my heart, in my life. And as I obey God, I become at peace with myself because I'm no longer doing the things that destroy my life. I'm no longer making the foolhearted decisions. I'm, no, I'm not going to be perfect. And when I fail, God God will still love me because none of us are perfect. But as I chase after the obedience of God, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in me. So what I'm really chasing isn't the obedience, but I'm chasing the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit to come alive in me, the relationship with him. Y'all don't act very excited about that. That's kind of fun. Because what we desire more than anything else is to feel like we are unconditionally loved and accepted. Isn't it? And there is a God who loves you unconditionally right where you are. So obedience leads to peace because of why we obey God. We obey him because he is good, because his ways are good, and he is worthy of worship. Worship is what we deem worth it, where you spend your time, your energy, your efforts, your resources. And we came here, and a while ago, we were, we were worshiping. We were singing, and we were like, oh, let's go. And some of our hair started standing up. Some people got goosebumps. Some people were like, this place is kind of crazy. What are these people singing? You know, that kind of stuff. And, but what really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get in touch with the God of this universe who loved us. And we're trying to declare how good he is. And as we live our life, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single moment of every day, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, except for leap year, and that's 366 days that year. As we do that and we try to allow God to take hold of us and we worship him and we glorify him and we say, I want to live and dwell with you both now and into eternity. That's where we find our peace. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our joy. And the result of that relationship is I want to do everything to stay in this place. I want to do everything to dwell in the presence of God both now and into eternity. I want to live a life of worship. And the result is obedience to God because we don't want to lose the fire of God coming alive in us. So do you know that's that's great, but how does that lead to us living a countercultural life? Daniel three twenty four, the king Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in the alarm, and he said to his advisors, "Don't didn't we throw three men bound into the fire?" "Oh yes, of course, your Majesty," they replied to the king. He exclaimed, "Look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods." Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire when the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around that they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there were no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. And they violated the king's command and risked their own lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that any one of these people, nation, or language who says anything offensive about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their house made a garbage dump. I love that phrase. That's funny. Um, For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Now, the king rewarded them, but they didn't do it for the reward because they were willing to say, even if it cost me my life, I'm willing to go. But have you ever noticed how you usually receive a reward when you follow God as long as you don't do it for the reward? The moment I do something for the reward, I no longer get it. Does that make sense? But when I follow God because I want to be in a relationship, I, I find I get it. And the reality of what they did in their obedience is they lived a cultural, a countercultural life that did not glorify humanity. It glorified the God they served. So a true countercultural life does not glorify you. It glorifies the God we serve. Where we get misguided sometimes when we live countercultural life is we sit there and we go, they're attacking my God. They're attacking me. And we become angry and hostile and we post on social media. Exactly. You can quote me on that. And what we don't realize is it's... Our God does not need us to defend him. He's pretty good at doing that himself. He needs us to love him, to chase after him, and to live for him in a life of worship. Where? Yes. Live for him a life of worship in your marriage. How do I know I'm doing that? Does the way you live in your marriage, for those of you who are married, would your spouse say glorifies God? Hypocrite, right? But I try. If you have kids, does the way you treat your kids and your kids respect you, can they see Jesus living in your life? The way you treat the people in your work, in your school, in your job. When they look at the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you handle yourself in certain situations, when, when the problems come, do they see a person who is living for themselves or do they see a person who is really obedient and fastly chasing after the God of this universe who created not only the very breath that we take, but the vastness of everything that exists? A countercultural life doesn't point to you. It points to God. So the next time you try to live a countercultural life, here's the life hack. (laughs) Make sure that when you're living that way, it somehow glorifies God. The way you know we're living a biblical countercultural life is that you are at peace and God is glorified. Come at me. What do I got? Nothing. But my God will be glorified. So... What ends up happening then is the way that we live will be at peace. And when you're at peace, guess what's going to happen? You're going to want to obey God. Not because obedience is your God, 
but because you want to stay in the presence of God. And what does that look like? Galatians, Galatians 6, 16 says, And I say, then walk by the Spirit. In other words, nurture the power of God alive in you, and you will not carry out the desire of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if you're led by the Spirit, guess what? You're not, you don't have to worry about the law. Except then he goes and says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Embrace yourself. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. We all stand accused and found guilty. As I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that you can't slip into those, but it means that these things are not the driving force of your life. What's the driving force of your life? God coming alive in you. So what does that look like? The fruit of the Spirit. In other words, as the fruit grows up in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. On my tombstone may it say, here's a guy who served God, right? Who exhibited love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Would that be not the greatest tombstone ever? Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So here's the deal. We're coming up to a time of Easter. A time when people will come to church and hear the story of what Jesus has done for them. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Maybe you've spent your whole life trying to earn God's favor. You can't through what you do. But Jesus still loves you anyways. So accept his love today. If you realize, and the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was died on the cross, that he was crucified, and that he was raised again, that's the Easter story. Come back in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about it even more. Then you can be a follower of Christ. And God himself can dwell within you. You'll have peace. You'll have joy. You'll have hope in a way that you've never experienced. It will be difficult and rewarding. It'll be a challenge and a blessing of peace. We'd love for you to stop by the next step space on the way out or or tag a friend or, or grab someone who knows the story of Jesus and say, tell me more. And two weeks from now, we're having six people, I think, already scheduled for baptism. We'd love to have some more joining us. For those who are followers of Christ, let me tell you this. You've been freed from the law, which is a blessing. But chase after the obedience of what God asks us to do. And watch it change your life because it will free up the power of the Holy Spirit to come alive in you. And that's a place of peace that you will never want to leave. Guys, I love you. It's an honor to be your pastor. It's an honor to go through this struggle of life with you. But I exist and I move and I breathe to tell you this one simple truth. You are loved way more than you can even fathom by the God of this universe. Let him live in you. Father, I thank you for this time. 
And we pray that in our very breath and our lungs, we would declare how great you are. So God, we ask as we sing, here's our heart, that you would allow us to give you everything. That the shackles of things that have bound us, our, our addictions, our worries, our anxiety, our anger, our fears, our whatever of the list, the, the things that have driven our life would be abandoned here today. And we, God, we know we can't get rid of these things on our own because we've tried. And so God, all we know to do right now is to go, here's our heart and let you speak what is true in our life. That you would raise us up, the power of God in our lives, and that you would draw us into your presence. And not just a momentary emotional high, but a lifelong journey of chasing after your peace and hope and love. So God, move now as we respond in worship. Here's our heart. Speak what is true.